IEEE Essay Voice shares insights and perspectives from the IEEE Essay community, subject matter experts, and industry leaders that are working to raise the world's standards, drive market solutions, and much more, keeping you at the forefront of technological innovation for the benefit of humanity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the IEEE SA's Rethink Health podcast series. I'm your host, Maria Palombini, Director of Healthcare and Life Sciences Global Practice at the IEEE Standards Association. This podcast puts industry stakeholders from around the globe on the spot to answer an important question. How can we rethink the approach to healthcare with the responsible use of new technologies and applications that can afford more security, protection, and sustainable, equitable access to quality care for all individuals. This season five, the rise in demand for telehealth equity and accessible technologies is presented in collaboration with the American Telemedicine Association, the ATA, which is a nonprofit organization completely focused on advancing telehealth, committed to ensuring that everyone has access to safe, affordable, and appropriate care. So we were participating at the ATA 2023 annual conference, which took place in San Antonio, Texas. And one of the big areas, and we saw a lot of sessions, was around challenges of closing the gap of inequity, despite the rise in telehealth system devices and services. So for those of you who are not familiar with our podcast series, you can learn more about it at the IEEE Rethink Health um, website at ieesa.io backslash health podcast. Or you can just scroll through the podcast channel on your podcast player. All right. So today we're going to get a little bit into an important issue that everyone seems to think they know about, but not necessarily. So we're going to talk about rural telehealth. So these are patients in rural communities who are prime candidates for telehealth services because they are in communities with limited access to healthcare facilities and providers. And it's also well known that less populated areas have less physicians and health facilities available. Plus, we know that patients living in rural communities are less likely to either own a smartphone or have robust access to the internet, broadband, fiber, you name it. A Pew Research study showed in 2019 that 71% of rural residents reported owning a smartphone compared to 83% of suburban and urban residents. So we are already seeing some um, unbalance in those numbers. Now, we all know that there's going to be a rise in digital therapeutics in the form of mobile health apps and remote patient monitoring and therapeutic devices that require the use of smartphones. So patients without this tool, a smartphone, are automatically excluded from this form of delivery of care. And we need stronger cellular networks to further penetrate into these deep rural communities. And with that, I am delighted today to have with me Dr. Patrick Fullerton, who is an emergency room physician and CEO of Optac who presented an exciting session at the ATA annual conference on reaching the unreachable patient, connecting past the Wi-Fi. And also he competed in the ATA Innovator Challenge. Welcome, Dr. Fullerton. Wow, thanks, Maria. That's a great introduction. Appreciate being here. Awesome. I am so excited to get into this conversation. Um, But before we begin, I have to get this out of the way. A short disclaimer. IEEE nor ATA endorse or financially support any of the products or services mentioned by or affiliated with our guest experts in this season five. Guests are invited to participate to offer opinions and perspectives representative of their own knowledge and experience. Now that we got that out of the way, we can get to the good stuff. Sounds good. Because we are in virtual land, we like to humanize the experience for our audience, right? Because they can't see us and we're not in front of them. 
So uh, Dr. Fulton, you are a highly regarded emergency medicine doctor, scientifically trained to deliver care to patients. I also hear you're an Ironman competitor. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so my question to you is what drives your passion, like helps you find the time to enter into the technology world to deliver care via another channel in this form of telehealth? Oh my gosh, that's an interesting question. You know, all, since the very beginning, I've been a kind of a self-starter and um, always pushing the limits of what um, we can do, both in technology and also physically. So first started on my, in, in my life as physically, seeing how far I could push myself as an athlete. And then I kind of, uh, when I got into my professional career, I was like, well, what else can we do? How else can we deliver care? And so that's kind of really it. I started doing Ironman about, about 11 years ago. Uh, I'm probably not that good at it because uh, I'm built like a football player, but uh, I try because uh, it's a challenge to me to, to see how better I can do and compete with myself. I will tell you, you're probably way ahead of me and a lot of people I know in that Ironman competition for sure. But it's, it's really interesting. Um, when I first started to read about, you know, Uptech, I, I thought this was a really interesting statement considering that I'm with a standards association, right? So it says, you know, it's kind of like putting a stake in the ground saying that you're setting the new standard um, for remote communications, right? Supporting the future of global telehealth and remote assistance. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's awesome, right? Like we all want that. We all want that. So how do you, how do you guys see this mission supporting bringing telehealth access to individuals who are in these deep rural areas and often the most challenged to reach to give them these services? Yeah. So so originally it, it, we had to take a uh, you know a step backwards and kind of look at um, who actually created the technology because we were looking at this for over probably fifteen years of how do we reach uh, patients that are coming into the hospital. Um, and so what we did is we started looking at satellite communication systems first, not really the internet of things and the platforms we could deploy it on. And so literally that was the start of, of trying to find out who is doing it the best. And so then we came across a lot of satellite companies, uh, terminal companies that are, you know, connected to satellites in space in the GeoMeo Leo orbits. But I also wanted to make sure that we were not just using satellite, but we were using like low terrestrial um, environment connectivity as well. And that's the 4G, 5G cellular networks. So really, after a lot of research and development, uh, we stumbled across the Cometa company. And Cometa actually started um, doing this at Duke University. And so their history was kind of, you know, kind of you know, in R&D for a long time until Bill Gates came along. And he said, you know what, this is revolutionary. This is going to revolutionize the way people communicate. And he specifically invested in Cometa because he wanted to improve the healthcare access in Africa. Mm. So when I heard that story, I was like, let me reach out. I literally cold called them on the phone. And then through different conversations that happened, uh, you know, we landed uh, in with the, the director for SOCOM for Cometa. And that's where we started. Um, so when you looked at satellite terminal technology, that's really where it started for us is who was doing this the best and what was the revolutionary technology that was out there now that we can utilize off the shelf. And so what, what electronic steered antennas do is it removes the barrier to be stationary. They can do it mobily and also, also stationary. So it's called, um, communications on the pause and communications on the move. And that flexibility really um, lets us be a, 
deployed on multiple platforms, which is really, really cool. Um, so hopefully that gives you, uh, you know, the past. And then uh, I'll talk a little bit about where we are now. So we contacted those guys and we said, hey, look, can we, can we, we want to do a pilot and, and we want to do it with special forces. Um, are you guys interested? And they said, yeah, we'd love to do something like that because originally it was started, you know, and invested because of remote access to healthcare in Africa that Bill Gates wanted to achieve. And so, well, I said, well, that sounds good for the military and it sounds good for rural communities. So I'm on board. Um, so, the, so our, our interests aligned, uh, per se. And that's how we began. That's awesome. There's so many projects I can think about that started from Bill Gates, you know, um, just uh, even on the health side, right? He, he actually, you know, he's with the Gates Foundation. They look at TB projects, like trying to get non-counterfeit TB medicine to rural yeah, areas. Yeah. I mean, they do, they really paved the way uh, for some of these opportunities, but it's amazing. I think I always see Africa as the land of opportunity and for new innovation. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a great place. All right, so I this agree. is a great segue uh, into the core of what we're trying to talk about. So one of the challenges uh, with rural telehealth, right, is the varying requirements amongst the U.S. states for credentialing and licensing of telehealth providers. We also see this in the world of decentralized clinical trials, right, like investigators not being licensed in every state, trying to recruit patients from different places. It becomes a chaotic regulatory situation. But the variability amongst these states leads to higher costs, right? And more consumption of time by uh, providers trying to get licensed in these states. So you guys, Optech, right, is offering remote telehealth services, right, with providers. So how do you kind of navigate this? It's a crazy issue to navigate, but you have to navigate it. So how are you guys doing this? Yeah, so what we did is uh, we said at first, you know, everyone makes mistakes when you're starting off um, a company and a concept and, and an idea, right? And so through our trial and error, we figured out it's going to take a long time to build our own network. And so we have a small network now, but then we met a team called Amwell and, uh, and we had a meeting with them yesterday and we said, Hey guys, do you guys want to partner with us on this? And, uh, and so they're like, yeah, you know, another, yeah. So, so, so that was two yeses in the books. And, and we said, because we literally thought that it was like, look, we got to, we have to form the legal infrastructure in all 50 states. We'll have to form the legal infrastructure abroad. And how do we do that? How do we do that well? Like, what's the, what's, what's the biggest team we can get that we can scale this globally? Um, so literally, this, this is a recent development. Um, at the ATA, we stopped by the Amwell booth and said, hey, guys, we, have a, we need behavioral health and we need also uh, full, full medical care with our trauma physicians and also critical care and prolonged field care, uh, you know, for our DOD vertical. But we also need that for the hospital. When we're looking at transitional care clinics, how we get people into the system after they've been discharged, and also how we, how we reach out to the remote patient that, that can't have access or, or geographically, it's just prohibited, um, you know, because it's far away or the cellular access isn't great. You know, we looked at all those problems that, that give us um, issues trying to deliver care anywhere. And so we said, all right, we'll have our own team, but we need to partner with some bigger teams. And so that's what we're doing. We literally just acted like, it. you know, I hate to, I hate to bring up this, this, but you know, when in, you know, most of my team, uh, has either supported special forces or served in special forces in the, in the army and also the Navy. And actually we have one air force guy too. So in uh, the air force as well. So we said, you know, all right, guys, look, 
um, we're force multipliers, right? This is what we've been trained to do all our careers um, as military soldiers and officers. How do we force multiply us? And that force multiplication is like, look, do it with people already doing it in that state or that country. And our new concept is bring as many teammates in as possible to impact the globe for global reach and remote access to healthcare. And that's what, yeah. So that's kind of, it's the cool part about of building an ecosystem is, is no one's a competitor. Really, we look at them as partners. That's, that's really good, especially when you're a startup. Like you said, when people say yes to you, especially one of the top 10 telehealth companies in North America, and they say yes to you, that's like, that's like, that's like golden, right? That's what you're looking for. So kudos to you guys for that big time. How old do you really want to be? Or maybe the better question is, how long do you want to extend your lifespan with a nice quality of life? How can artificial intelligence, machine learning, biosensors, quantum, and a host of other technologies support this move from a reliance on early detection and disease management to disease prevention? Welcome to the new frontier of longevity technology. If this sounds interesting to you, then now is a great time to get involved. Join the global volunteers of the IEEE Healthcare and Life Sciences Practice, alongside various IEEE societies, councils, and leading industry associations, who are collaborating to make the longer lifespan inclusive and accessible for all individuals. The project commences with the IEEE Global Longevity Tech Forum on the 30th and 31st of October, 2023, in Boston, Massachusetts. For more information, visit IEEESA.io backslash LTForum. We look forward to you joining us. So, in, in, in discussing in this season five, you know, with all of our uh, guests, this question of trust keeps coming up, right? Um, and so, you know, we know that if there's a lack of patient trust, it can easily undermine the potential for telemedicine, like, you know, to mitigate the issue we're seeing with health disparities, right? Highlighting that trust and telemedicine need to be, I guess, fostered or nurtured simultaneously. You know, I was reading a study uh, by um, an analysis of Mount Sinai's de-identified COVID-19 database, which was published in the, the Lancet Digital Health. And it identified patients of color, uh, so in this case would be Black, Hispanic, Native Americans, et cetera, were less likely to use telehealth services during the COVID pandemic and preferred to go to emergency rooms to address their ailments. So the inferred correlation is this, right? That the lack of relationship between the patient and the doctor further exasperated the lack of trust in the telehealth system. And this might not be just a person of color thing. This can be just the average patient-doctor relationship. So here's my question to you. How do you, as a doctor, with a network now of telephysicians, attempt to bridge this gap in trust with patients? So that's a great question. And I'll answer it this way. So each state has a pot of money um, that's allocated for, for essentially emergency management and disaster preparedness. And so right now we have on the books a meeting with the state of Tennessee. We're going to have a meeting with uh, Kentucky, um, Texas as well. And after that, I think the domino is going to fall. Because the biggest question uh, that you asked, it really has a has a financial burden to the patient, right? And that financial burden gets mitigated with already state allocated funds to provide this network architecture in their state. So therefore, instead of asking 
from the patient to say, hey, look, here's the new 4G, 5G phone that you really need to have. You need to have Chrome or Safari or Firefox on that phone um, as a browser. Um, that kind of creates a barrier to entry, right? Because I know my cell phones are expensive. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think I paid for five or $600 for my cell phone. Um, some people can't afford that. Right. And back in when I first started out, you know, my dad was a truck driver. My dad still doesn't have a, a smartphone. He has just a regular phone. Um, and he's 80 years old, still driving a truck for a living. God love him. Irish man will, will work till, till the day he dies. But, uh, but I see that as a barrier entry just in my own family. And so how do we, how do we give them access to a network where it wouldn't be, uh, there wouldn't be any healthcare disparities because of lack of technology or access to technology in communities. And literally, we start at the states, and we, and we provide that through an already allocated pot of money for COVID and also for disaster preparedness. There's still untouched monies in the, each state for these things, and that's what we do: is we go from a top-down approach and help the the states deliver that to their municipalities. Okay, so that sort of addresses, I think, an important question because we often hear, you know, like people can't afford 5G access and broadband and all this other stuff, right? And this is why they're quote-unquote disconnected to begin with. So I think this is a really interesting approach to try to, you know, work with government to sort of putting it, bringing it down to the people, essentially, like give it sure. back to them in this form, right? Sure, 100%. And we did that. I can give you an example where we did that before um, before I started Optech. I was the deputy chief medical officer for the Great Plains area, and if you know that area, you know, that area of North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, Iowa, Nebraska is very, very remote, and we're, there were tons of challenges on the reservation that we were trying to fix. Yeah, we had we had tuberculosis outbreaks. We were just trying to make sure they're taking their medicine, things like that. Um, there was there was other issues that we were facing with um, early disease progression with hypertension, diabetes, and heart disease. And so we would literally go mobile around to these communities uh, to deliver healthcare because they had such a lack of access to come into the hospital reservation or to the reservation on the hospital where we actually went to them. And so I remember, um, you know, this is not a plug for iPhone because I'm an Android guy. Uh, we dropped off um, iPhones to, to patients' houses where they didn't have the technology, they didn't have the money for an iPhone. But it was some technology that, that was developed to, to watch them take the medicine, that we ensure that they take the medicine for tuberculosis to ensure that they were getting treatment. So we actually gave them the technology. And I think sometimes in, in areas that are remote, that have a lack of um, access, whether it be from, from geography or from finances, uh, you know, we need to help provide that because I believe, you know, as as we I could say this on, on St. Patty's Day, um, as a good Irish Catholic, we are we are brothers and sisters keepers, and I, and I believe we owe it to to humanity and to the globe to take care of others. Absolutely, well said. I think that's really amazing. You know, just interesting on this case study though. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of case studies where foundations and coalitions go in and give technology to people in rural areas, and just interested to know because they said in some cases some people like accepted it and trusted. And some people didn't, they didn't want it. They were like, this is going to cause too many problems. Like, you know, you know, familiar, like things going on in their families or the multi-generation gap. Just interested to see more or less from your observation, like how did people respond to getting this technology and being able to use it? And 
Like, did you find that they were totally accepting towards it? Or at first they were like, mm, not so sure I want to use this. <laughs> yeah, and it was not so sure I want to use this. Um, it, it really, there's a, there's a huge educational piece that goes along with that. And that educational piece has to have, you know, the, the people they trust uh, coming out to talk to them as well. So, so that was a key piece of, of what we did as well. And also there was another initiative that were, there were, um, you know, there was increased incidents of suicide on the reservations as well. So we said, how do we address that? Well, education was the key. You know, we had children, um, in high schools committing suicide in packs. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you address that? Right. How do you, how do you reach those kids? Well, right. you go out to them and you go talk to them and you educate them why they shouldn't do this because. Um, you know, this is not the right answer to, to solve problems. This is not the right statement you want to give, um, uh, because of, of, you know, the problems that they were facing and, and they can be individual, they can be collective, but, but really it starts with education and the word doctor comes from a lot of word to cray. Yeah. It mm -hmm. means to teach. And I think a lot of us forget that, that our responsibility is to teach as well. Whenever I, I'm teaching medical students or residents, I, I tell them, I was like, all right, you know, anybody can give a history and physical, right? But, but physicians are trained to diagnose, but then they get stuck on to the rest of the piece in a treatment plan. Treatment plans consist of three things, um, diagnostic, therapeutic, patient education. And I've been teaching that for 22 years. You know, that patient education is really, really important. And sometimes we need to lead with that rather than end with that. Right. Good point. Yep. I think that's important. I, I agree. I think digital literacy and I think you're more prone to trust something when you understand it versus just, you know, if you don't understand it, you sort of like, I don't know if I could trust this thing, right? It's just the unknown. Right, so right. good point. Very good point. And Maria, digital literacy, that is a great buzzword. Um, I love it. And I'm glad you said it first because I, I always forget that word. Um, but digital literacy is really um, how we get folks to trust what we're doing because you can't see them face to face. Mm -hmm. And and you can't establish that face-to-face -face relationship we have done for years, but, um, but we still have to keep trying to improve digital literacy. So there is trust, um, in the healthcare system. To market success is not an easy feat. Whether you are a first time or experienced entrepreneur, getting advice from mentors who have the knowledge and experience either in technology, design compliance, early seed funding, or breaking ground into the healthcare market can benefit you along the way. The IEEE Global Telehealth Startup Community is helping early stage tech entrepreneurs with access to these mentors while giving them a platform to have a voice in the challenges that continue to inhibit innovation in the domain. If you are a tech entrepreneur and would like to join your peers in this global community, visit IEEESA.io slash telehealth startup. There is no cost to join. You will not only advance your objectives, but you will also significantly contribute to the adoption of these technologies, which will benefit the telehealth system for all stakeholders. Visit IEEESA.io slash telehealth startup to join this growing community. Okay, so now we're going to go to one of our more well-known challenges throughout the entire healthcare system, and that's interoperability, right? So, I mean, I attend conference after conference, and I don't care what area of the healthcare value chain, always hearing there's a challenge with interoperability. So, you know, what, what happens here is that we know it's a main issue. It's, an, you know, technologists, patients, and physicians are feeling the impact of it. You know, healthcare records are not interoperable. Now we're layering in a new channel, right? Telehealth. 
and saying, you know, hey, we're going to throw something else at it that's not going to integrate into the health record. So I guess from, you know, your perspective, being in the thick of it on both sides now, right? Telehealth, in-person patient, trying to teach future doctors. Like, where do you think policy can maybe support uh, the better, the support better the integration of telehealth systems into the overall, you know, patient health record? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. And I'll tell you the reason why, uh, you know, you know, for the longest time, everyone was siloed and sometimes still is. And I'll, I'll tell you about a brief project that I, that I did and I did it for the right reasons, um, mm-hmm. but it never got implemented because of the, of the silos that are, that are still, they, they still exist in healthcare, in healthcare systems. And it was a PHI sharing platform. It was my senior project. Um, and I hate to drop the word, but when I was at Harvard, um, <laughs> getting my healthcare master degree, no one cared about when I went to Daytona Beach Community College, when I got out of the military, people, mm-hmm. some, how they like, you know, do, do not like that word. Um, but I'm really proud of, of, of what I learned there. And, and when I was there, they, we got an opportunity to discuss, all right, do you want to do another QI project, quality initiative, or do you want to build a company? Well, me being me, I said, I want to build a company. And so I built a company that literally shared PHI between healthcare systems. And, and the reason why I did that, because sitting in an ER, I have an EKG in front of me, right? I have to make a decision. You know, does this patient go to the cath lab or does this patient go to the ICU? And if I had that other EKG from that other hospital system, I could compare the two. And if there was a change, it's very easy. I'm calling in the cath team calling the interventional cardiologist to put a stent in, the, in this person's heart. So that inter- that's where it first started of, of, of my trying to be interoperable um, and creating something to do that. And so that system actually was called the Happy uh, Corporation. It's a healthcare API ecosystem. And we used an API that was used in, we made sure it was used in other healthcare systems, sharing information across systems for that inter and intra interoperability. Did I say that correctly? I think I said that wrong, but anyway, you guys can understand the point. But, uh, you know, that was really important to me to be able to, to, to solve that problem. And, and so as we develop uh, the technology, we're like, okay, well, can we do it? You know, will we, why are we going to be allowed to do it first of all? And, um, and the answer was no. This is back in 2018, 2017, 2018. The answer was no. Right. But I think now I think we're finding that, that, you know, interoperability that first really started in radiology. Um, as we, as we progress through the different specialties and the healthcare systems, I think they're finding that better patient care, um, is given on a population health standpoint. Um, now if you're interoperable, so the pressures will be placed on, on state and local governments to become more interoperable um, mm-hmm. because I think the biggest fear was, was it's going to leak outside the system. Well, it'll leak outside the system regardless if you're interoperable or non-interoperable, mm-hmm. you know, just from ha- having managed thousands of physicians in my career, uh, at my last position as well, you know, where I was a healthcare executive, um, people are going to leak, people are going to leak out of their system. Uh, and, and you, that's to be expected where the hard work comes in is the leaders of the healthcare systems have to understand and educate their teams that they're on the team for the right reason. So even if they go outside the system, those patients are still, still going to come back, right? So promote interoperability. It's not going to help the leak out of the system. If you don't have the specialists you need in, in your system, then get that person. And then you don't have to worry about it. But interoperability is, is the way of the future. And, I, and personally, I fully support it. 
Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, we just keep hearing about it and I just hope we start to really move the needle on it, but we'll see. I don't know. So, Dr. Fulton, you gave me so many great thoughts and it's definitely our audience appreciates all the insights. I think the, the case studies that you talked about are really, really insightful. So I, I've totally appreciated your comment that it's sort of our human responsibility to take care of our fellow man. I, I totally agree and appreciate your, your, your commitment to that. And, so, and, and woman, by the way. Oh, yes. As I live in a family of women, you know, two little girls. And a wife. I, f I live in a family of women. So if I don't do you that, my wife will literally. Absolutely uh, correct. Yeah. So she's not, cook, she's not cooking dinner and I have to do a lot more chores tonight if I don't do that. Usually we share responsibilities, but uh, she says she's going to cook a special dinner tonight for St. Patty's Day. And I can kiss yeah. that goodbye if I don't say uh, women as well. <laughs> you could just leave me on that. But uh, <laughs> so for all of you out there, if you hadn't noticed, today is actually, we're recording this podcast, but today is actually St. Patrick's Day. So it's March 17th. So um, you know, so we're all talking about the, uh, this very, very special quote unquote holiday we have here in the U.S. Uh, we, we try to observe as best as we can. But um, so Dr. Fulton, before we, we end this exciting interview, I just want to ask you, is there any kind of final thoughts you would like to share, you know, with this audience? We have a diverse audience of technologists and researchers and clinicians and regulatory people or any other, you know, stakeholder who really wants to get into the process to make change and try to see, you know, specifically around, you know, developing technologies and services and opportunities for, you know, those who are, I would say, most disconnected, right? The ones in remote and uh, deep rural areas. Sure, sure. I think, I think the biggest thing I can say is, you know, let's not reinvent the wheel. The wheel already rolls as it is now. And this global multi-architecture satellite and LT hybrid um, solution that we've created with multiple technologies you know, let's start thinking about how we can become um, an ecosystem and deliver that care together rather than siloed and apart. And if you reach out to Optech, we'll show you how to do that because we're doing that currently with, with the DOD. We're doing that currently with um, the commercial market as well in healthcare. We're doing that overseas, um, outside the United States. Um, so, in that, and that is on you know, three different areas, you know, we provide the, the global multi-network architecture, but we will help anyone as far as the users of support networks and the platforms we deploy on and all the IOT that we can plug into this. We literally can build an ecosystem together and, and, and stop competing really, because if, if we're doing this together, um, I think a team is, is probably a better approach at solving these problems than individual companies. And so if you think about what um, the Commonwealth did in Massachusetts, solving a lot of different problems with their ecosystem, we just took that, that concept and we developed this global mobile network architecture um, to support different users um, and support networks, platforms, and IoT. So definitely reach out to us. And, and if you don't want to involve us, we'll, we'll, help, we'll help show you how. Excellent. So... For those of you who would like to learn more about Optech, you can visit www.optechx.com. Um, and uh, Dr. Fullerton, thank you for joining me today. This has been a really, really exciting conversation. Thank you, Maria, for having me. It's been a pleasure. And this is, by the way, my first podcast.
You see, now you've gone out to the global <laughs> world and just tell them all the exciting things you're doing. So thank you. You know, it's not easy sometimes to come on these things and, uh, you know, roll with the punches. And I think you've done, I think you shared some really great insight and I, I think our listeners are going to really enjoy it. So for the rest of you out there, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the season five is presented in collaboration with the American Telemedicine Association. Um, and as I mentioned, their 2023 annual conference um, just passed in March uh, in San Antonio, and they're already gearing up for 2024. If you want to learn about their activities and everything that's going on at the ATA, you can visit www.americantelemed.org. For us here at the IEEE Healthcare Life Science Practice, a lot of the things that uh, Dr. Fullerton talked about today are covered in many different initiatives and collaboration programs we do here. Our goal is obviously looking at the opportunities for developing technical and data standards through collaboration, building consensus, and bringing solutions that are ultimately going to help all of the patients. When I say all, I mean all patients in every corner of the globe. Um, so if you're interested in getting involved, you can bring your expertise. You don't have to be an engineer. You can be a clinician. You can be a researcher. You can be a regulator. Um, your expertise will help us build uh, uh, opportunities and solutions to help others. And you can learn more about all the great work of the healthcare life science practice at ieesa.io backslash HLS. So I wanted the special thanks to you, the audience, for listening in today. We invite you to share this podcast with your colleagues and networks to help to get this information out to those who want to make a difference or want to learn about these great technologies and opportunities. And overall, contribute to better health care for everyone. We thank you for joining us. Until next time, stay safe and well. On behalf of IEEE Standards Association and IEEE SA Voice, thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit standards.ieee.org. We hope you'll join us again soon.